Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Bachelor Creek. It's so good to see all of you here today on Family Worship Sunday. I'm especially glad that you're here today because today we kick off a brand new series called This Is Us, where we're going to explore our core values as a church. And, you know, families and churches have a lot of similarities. There are many things that all families have in common. In a family, there are parents, there are siblings, uh, there are kids, families have traditions. But what makes a family distinct is its values. Think about your family. What makes your family unique? Uh, In your family, you might have values around education where you're expected to get a college degree. Uh, In your family, you might uh, value respect and courtesy, so uh, you expect your family to show good manners. Your family might value relationships, and so because of that, you prioritize eating dinner together as a family and spending quality time together. Uh, Your family might value health and wellness, and so uh, physical and mental health is a priority exercising, eating healthy. Maybe your family values creativity and artistic expression. And so in your family, there's an expectation that that you learn an instrument. Maybe your family values adventure and exploration. And so in your family, vacations uh, typically revolve around going to national parks and hiking and camping and being outdoors. There are Several things that make churches similar. Every gospel-centered, biblically-based church is going to have the same mission. It's the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Churches are going to have teaching. Churches are are going to worship. But just as a family's values is what makes each family distinct, a church's core values is what makes a church unique. For the past year, our leadership team has spent a lot of time praying and evaluating our core values. We looked at questions like, do our core values truly represent who we are? Are there values that we have as a church that that aren't represented in our core values? On the flip side, are there values that we have that, that don't really represent who we are? And then how memorable are our core values? How easily transferable are they? And what you'll experience in this series is the fruit of that process. I want you to know that these aren't new values as much as they are refined values. If I ask you to name our core values, my guess is most of you wouldn't be able to name them. And I find that a bit problematic because it's important that everyone who's a part of this church understand who we are. You see, values matter because we spend time on what we value. We give towards what we value. We resource what we value. We prioritize what we value. And so we refined our core values to make sure that they truly represented who we are as a church. We used intentional language to to make them sticky and memorable and portable so that you can remember them, internalize them, and in turn, share them with others. You'll see that that each value follows the same pattern. We, verb, value. We, verb, value. 
And then each value has a biblical image or a metaphor attached to it so that it makes it more memorable. So here are Bachelor Creek's core values. One, we stand on biblical truth. Carry the sword. Two, we connect relationally. Break the bread. Three, we give sacrificially. Empty the jar. Four, we raise up the next generation. Pass the torch. Five, we pursue excellence for God's glory. Grip the plow. Six, we are for Wabash and beyond. See the tree. And over the next six weeks, each Sunday, we're going to unpack one of our core values and explain what it means, why it's a value, and how we can live out that value in our daily lives. Today, we begin with our first foundational value. We stand on biblical truth. Our world is constantly in a state of change. Our world is constantly changing. Think about how opinions have changed and and, and fads have changed and tastes have changed over the years. I think it's fascinating to to look at fashion changes. You think of the 1970s and you think of bell-bottom jeans and disco and long hair and then you get into the 80s and you picture acid-washed jeans and members-only jackets and mullets. And then in the 90s, you kind of have this grunge movement and, and, and baggy clothing. You get into the kind of later 2000s, and, and you see skinny jeans, and, and you just have these fashion changes. And, and it's always interesting that things that are in style go out of style, and you wait about 20 years, and they come back in style. But it's constantly changing. You think about the, the technological changes that we see in our world. A little over 100 years ago, if you wanted to get somewhere... You would ride on a train, you would ride on horseback, and then with the invention of the automobile, people began to own cars. And then today, we have self-driving cars. Years ago, if you wanted to communicate with somebody, you would talk face-to-face or you would write them a letter. Well, then came uh, telephones, and so you could pick up the phone and you could call and talk to somebody. And then with the invention of the internet, you had email and you could communicate electronically and then text messaging. We have social media today where we have a world that's more connected than ever before. Today, on your phone, you have access to more information in a minute than people 100 years ago had access to in their entire lifetime. Constantly a state of change. I remember when I graduated college and joined a church staff in 2007, um, we were warned about the dangers of social media, and we were discouraged from having a Facebook account. It was new. It was scary. And listen, there are reasons to be concerned about social media. There's uh, obviously an importance to have boundaries and, and, and all of that, but it's interesting today that we realize that those same platforms hold some of our biggest opportunities for ministry. In fact, I just want to shout out to the dozens of people that are watching this service on Facebook right now. My, how things have changed. Uh, Medical opinions change. I find it interesting how uh, you just wait a few years, there's this new research, this new study that shows what this one food that we thought was good for us is now not good for us, right? 
Is coffee good for you or is coffee bad for you? I'll just say I think coffee is good for me based on my intake. Um, Eggs, are eggs good for you or are eggs not healthy for you? And then you just wait and there's these new studies and research that says, well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. From 1940 to 1949, there were a series of advertisements boasting that more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Can you believe that that is a real advertisement? Like there were doctors, can you imagine your cardiologist or pediatrician recommending cigarettes? Like we, we can't even have a category for that in our mind. There's no way. There's no way a doctor would say that today. My, how things have changed. Views change, beliefs change, ideologies change. It's hard for a lot of us to to even fathom that in the early 19th century, there there were many people in our country who would say that an African-American was nothing more than property. And then even after they had voting rights, it wasn't until the mid-20th century that African-American children and white children would attend the same school together. We think, how, how, how could children just not be able to attend school together, but we see how much views have changed. In 1996, President Bill Clinton signed the Defense of Marriage Act into law, recognizing marriage between one man and one woman. It was only eight years later in 2004 when the state of Massachusetts became the first state to legalize gay marriage. And in 2015, it was federally legalized. And we could sit here, we could go on and on and on about all the changes that have taken place, and we could say there are some changes that have been for the better, and there are some changes that have been for the worse. And so how in the world are we supposed to interpret all of the change that we see? How do we know what changes are right, and how do we know what changes are wrong? How do we know what's true? How do we know what we should believe about anything? Well, some people would say that our view of right and wrong should be determined by the majority opinion, okay? We'll call this the populist position, okay? Whatever the majority of people believe, that's what's right and that's what's true. Uh, Some people would say that uh, what we believe is right should be based on what we personally feel, that truth is relative, truth is subjective, so just follow follow your own heart. What I believe is true is right for me. What you believe is true is right for you. And as long as my beliefs don't infringe upon your beliefs, then everybody can be happy. There are some people who would say that we should believe whatever the government tells us to believe, right? Whatever the the government enacts, whatever they tell us to do, whatever they legislate, that, that that is what we should believe to be true. Other people would say that, that we ought to believe whatever the highly educated tells us to. Okay? Whatever the doctors, whatever the PhDs, whatever the, the ivory tower elites, the professors, whatever they say is right is what we should believe. And listen, there are times where, where all of these positions hold the truth. But the problem is, is that all of these positions change over time. Majority opinion changes over time. Governments change over time. What I personally feel changes over time. What you personally feel changes over time. We need something better than that. An ever-changing world needs an unchanging truth. An ever-changing world needs an unchanging truth. Our world's pursuit is, is a lot like an office chair. An office chair that has wheels, right? 
So you, you picture the, this office chair, and, and, and you think that, that it can kind of be all over the place. It can move this way, it can move that way. And, and you think about, uh, for, for a long time in our world, uh, people would say that there are two genders. There's male and there's female. And in the last few years, people say, well, there's not two genders, there's actually several genders, and, and gender doesn't stay the same, it's actually fluid, right? And so it's changing, it's like a chair on wheels all over the place. People would say that uh, prayer is good, like after 9-11, prayer is good. Or if you remember uh, last January when the Buffalo Bills safety, DeMar Hamlin, uh, when he collapsed and his heart stopped beating on the middle of an NFL football field, and you have uh, news anchors and reporters on live TV praying, and prayer is good, right? So prayer is good then, but, but prayer is not good in schools. For, for, for centuries, people would say that, that humans, we are the product of an all-powerful, all-wise God. And then in the 1800s, Charles Darwin comes around, and he presents a theory of evolution, and he says that, that we are nothing more than descendants of monkeys. And you, you can see that, that when, when you stand on majority opinion, when, when you stand on what the government says, when you stand on what the intellectual elites say, you're constantly moving from side to side. You're changing because there's no fixed point. There's no standard. There's no objective point of reference. Now think about the, the pews that you're sitting on. They're bolted into the ground. They're anchored. They're, they're not going anywhere. And when you and I stand on biblical truth, we are standing on something that, that is unchanging, something that is fixed, something that is anchored. What is biblical truth? Biblical truth is the revealed, unchanging, and absolute truths found in the Word of God. It is the foundation upon which our lives and our faith are built. The Bible is an unchanging truth because it's God's Word. And we're going to read from God's Word this morning. We've asked one of our kids, Faye Leffert, to come up and uh, read Scripture for us. We're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and I want to invite you to please stand for the reading of God's Word. Scripture is breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thanks, Faye. Scripture is divinely inspired. Faye read, all Scripture is God-breathed. So, so the Bible is not merely a collection of human writings, but, but it is divinely inspired. God's breath is in every word, making it a unique and authoritative source of truth. And we get a better perspective on what this is like from Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he says, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, so the prophets, they had their own unique personality, but they spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They didn't speak from their own authority, the same way with the writers of Scripture. 
We, we can read Paul's letters and see that, that Paul has a unique, distinct personality that's different from Peter and different from Mark. But as each writer of Scripture wrote, they did so as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, writing what God intended them to write. And so we must approach Scripture with reverence and humility, recognizing their divine origin. And when we stand on biblical truth, we can have confidence knowing that we're standing on the same truth that Christians throughout the centuries for the last 2,000 years have been standing on. Our first core value is we stand on biblical truth. And our metaphor is carry the sword. Carry the sword. Ephesians 6.17 says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you understand the power that you possess when you carry the sword? Do you understand the, the power? The, the sword of the Spirit helps us fight against the enemy. It helps us fight against the enemy. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 to put on the full armor of God so that we can take a stand against the devil's schemes. And most of the armor of God is defensive in nature. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, it, it's used for defense. But the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is an offensive weapon. If you want to see Satan cower in fear, stand on biblical truth. Remind Satan of Christ's victory over him as told in the Bible. And in fact, what did Jesus use when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness? He used Scripture. Three times Jesus said, it is written, stand on biblical truth. That's how we fight against the enemy. Second, the sword of the Spirit is powerful because it lights our path. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. The Bible gives you guidance. Every day we find ourselves in positions where we have to make decisions. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? Am I going to tell the truth or am I going to tell a lie? Am I going to watch that video? Am I going to visit that website? Or am I going to walk away? The Bible lights our path and points us in the right direction so that we can follow God's will for our lives. The sword of the Spirit is powerful because it examines our lives. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You see, the Bible is like an x-ray machine. It reveals what's going on in the inside. If there is sin in our life, the Bible is going to expose it. If we're struggling to trust God in an area, if we're living in fear, the Bible is going to show that. If we have weaknesses, if we're vulnerable to temptation, it's going to be revealed by Scripture. The sword of the Spirit is powerful because it anchors our soul. Again, the Bible is an unchanging truth, which means that when our emotions get too high or get too low, the Bible grounds us. When it feels like our lives are falling apart, when it feels like the grief is too much, when we feel like giving up, it is the hope that is found in God's Word that anchors our soul. No matter how bleak things look in life, 
we can hold on to that anchor and know that we're not going anywhere because it's unchanging. That's how powerful the sword of the Spirit is that we're called to carry. But how do we carry it? First, study the Bible. Study the Bible. The Bible helps us fight against our enemy. It gives us guidance. It examines our lives. It anchors our soul. And with that kind of power, you would think that people would would be devouring the Bible. You'd think that people would be committing themselves to studying it and reading it every opportunity they got. But sadly, that's not the case. Each year, the American Bible Society releases a state of the Bible report featuring research about the Bible and its effect on the lives of Americans. And their findings are quite concerning. In 2021, 50% of American adults use their Bible at least three times a year. Just three times a year, 50% of American adults. That number dropped to 39% this year in 2023. In terms of sheer numbers, that's 28 million less Americans using the Bible this year than two years ago. Only 24% of American adults use their Bible on their own outside of a church service at least once a week. As a church that is committed to standing on biblical truth, we commit to carry the sword. And that means that we engage with the Bible. So if your only reading of Scripture happens when you come to a church service on Sundays, now's the time to change that. Start now. Start small. Pick a time. Pick a place. Pick a book of the Bible. If you don't know where to start, start in the Gospel of John and just read about the life of Jesus. Read a chapter a day. Allow the truth of the Bible to soak into your heart and into your mind and see what happens in your life. Parents, I know that you want your kids to understand the Bible. I know that because you bring them here and you have them involved in our children's ministry. And we have the best children's ministry that that I know of. But you realize that, that your kids are with our children's ministry maybe one or two hours a week at most. And they are under your care for dozens of hours a week. And that means that your influence is going to be the greatest influence in their life. And so if you want to see them understand the Bible, make sure that you're modeling it in your own life. That's what they're going to follow. Study the Bible. Second, memorize the Bible. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In her book, Amazing Grace, Kathleen Norris shares what she calls the scariest story she's ever heard about the Bible. Norris and her husband were visiting a man named Arlo, a rugged, self-made man who was facing terminal cancer. During their visit, Arlo started talking about his grandfather, who was a sincere Christian. The grandfather gave Arlo and his wife a wedding present. It was an expensive leather Bible with their names printed in gold lettering. Arlo left it in a box and never opened it. But for months afterwards, his grandfather kept asking if he liked the Bible. And Arlo told Norris, my wife had written a nice thank you note, and we thanked him in person, but somehow he couldn't let it lie. He always had to ask about it. Finally, Arlo grew curious enough to open the Bible. Arlo said the joke was on me. 
I finally took the Bible out of the closet and found that my grandpa had placed a $20 bill at the beginning of the book of Genesis and at the beginning of every single book, over $1,300 in all. And he knew I'd never find it. Church, God's Word is a treasure. The truth that it contains is more valuable than finding $1,300. But you'll never experience its value. You'll never experience its power unless you open it up, you read it, you study it, and you memorize it. Study the Bible, memorize the Bible. Third, speak the Bible. Jesus tells us that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And when your heart is full of Scripture, because you've been reading the Bible and memorizing the Bible, then guess what starts to come out of your mouth? Scripture. God works in amazing ways. I can't tell you how many times I have read a passage of Scripture in the morning, and God has used that very same Scripture to encourage or to speak in the life of somebody else later in that same day. Something happens when you speak the Word of God. So often we're concerned about saying the wrong thing. We want to make sure that, that I'm talking with somebody. I want to make sure I don't mess it up. Just speak God's word. Don't worry about what you say. Just let them know what God says. Here at Bachelor Creek, we stand on biblical truth. We demonstrate that each and every week by teaching and preaching from God's word. We demonstrate the priority of the Bible by standing and reading from God's Word every single week. We stand to demonstrate respect for the Bible. We stand to, to show and to symbolize that, that we're not standing on our own authority, but we are standing on the authority of Scripture. In the back of our worship center, we have two shelves of Bibles back there. And those Bibles are for anybody who doesn't have a Bible. I would encourage you to take one, take it with you. That is your Bible now. We make those available because we know the power of Scripture. And we know what happens when somebody gets the Bible and they read the Bible and they study the Bible and they memorize the Bible and they speak the Bible. We stand on biblical truth. Did you know that we literally stand on biblical truth? Underneath this stage where I'm standing is a Bible. And it is a reminder that me or whoever else is standing up here speaking, we do not stand on our own authority but we stand on biblical truth. The Bible is our final authority. We carry the sword. This is us. This is who we are as a church. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your truth that is unchanging. And God, in the chaos of our world where things are constantly in flux, thank you for having an anchor for our soul. Thank you for having a source of truth, something that we can hold on to when life gets hard, something that we can seek when we don't know what to do, something that, that examines our lives and points us in the way that we should go. Thank you, God, for giving us your truth, for revealing it to us. You've not left us to our own device, but you have given us your word. And God, I pray that we would not just make it a value on a wall but it would be something that we internalize and we live out every single day. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for its witness. I thank you for the 178 years that it has stood on biblical truth. God, we know that no matter what happens in this world, 
that we stand strong when we stand on your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.